Good morning, I'm Wimala, and today is October the 27th. Beautiful day here. Now it's back to feeling a little bit more like fall after having some warmer, warmer days over the last week or so. We're still reading in Pema Chodron's new book, How We Live is How We Die. And she, of course, is in the Tibetan tradition. And so some of the, some of the stories are more about the Tibetan practice than they may be about Theravadan practices. But I think they're really interesting. And I think, uh, the thing she's teaching in the story that I'll read, uh, chapter seven today, it's called Mother and Child Luminosity. And when, when we're talking about this, She's talking about at the, uh, at, like at the final stages of life, the last breaths of life, and how you can train to, to die more consciously and more just one breath is the last breath and then you go into some other, there's, there's somewhere else you, you are. And, uh, I think we can take these teachings and broaden them if it's not just like our tradition, is to see the truth in them. Because she's saying, how we live is how we die. So these are practices to train in while you're living. And I think it's wonderful to read the way other traditions talk about this, these, these, uh, these topics. There's a lot to learn. So this is Mother and Child Luminosity. A traditional way of describing the final dissolution of this life, consciousness dissolving into space, is in terms of the child luminosity meeting the mother luminosity. The child luminosity is the experience of our mind's sky-like nature with which we can familiarize ourselves through training. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, a teacher points out this nature to a student and gives the student instructions on how to cultivate and stabilize the experience of wide open, unfettered mind. That's a, that's a good practice in itself, right? These teachings and practices are all designed to develop confidence in the child luminosity. This is how Mingyar Rinpoche had spent so many years of his life, and this was why he was so prepared to die. The Mother Luminosity, also known as the Ground Luminosity, is the ultimate nature of reality, which is no different from our own nature. It's the infinitely open space of awareness that encompasses everything and everyone. It's the basic goodness of the universe imbued with compassion and wisdom. And what I find so inspiring is that people like you and me can always connect with it. Yet, although it's continually present, it is only fully and completely revealed to us at the end of the dissolution process and only then if we recognize it. When, we're, when we've prepared ourselves well by training in the child luminosity, we will recognize our mother when she shows her face. 
Then, like a small child who has been with a babysitter all day, we will naturally run to our mother to become reunited with her. As it says in one of the prayers about the bardos that I often recite, may I be liberated as naturally as a child running to its mother's lap. The child luminosity can be compared to the space inside a vase and the mother luminosity to the larger space outside. Though the inner and outer spaces are separated by the vase and we can talk about them as if they're two different spaces, their essence is exactly the same. Both are simply space. When the vase breaks, analogous to death, the barrier between the two spaces disappears and they merge into one. When we use the term luminosity to talk about our mind's nature, we are not talking about something like ordinary light. Luminosity is the quality of our mind that is aware. It is that which knows. It's how we know what we're seeing and hearing and thinking and feeling. And it's how we have the potential to know our own true nature. Maybe it's more helpful simply to call it open awareness, something we can practice and connect with. If we familiarize ourselves with the continuous flow of births and deaths, the continuous bardos that make up our life, remember bardos are just those gaps in between, those spaces in between things, in between lives, in between experiences, in between moments. If So if we familiarize ourselves with the continuous flow of births and deaths, the continuous bardos that make up our life, we can gradually over time come to see that this awareness is the background of every experience. We can get to the point where open awareness accompanies us through every beginning and every ending, through every up and every down. It doesn't appear and disappear. It's there in all the transitions and gaps. It's a permanent feature of our mind's landscape. This may seem far off right now, but it's our birthright, an always beckoning possibility. When we try to locate, describe, or conceptualize this open awareness in any way, we can't. However hard we search, we can find nothing to pin down. And yet it's possible to get this awareness so intimately that we will always be able to recognize it in every situation that arises, even during the dissolution of our body. This, of course, is the most important time of all. Most of the time we're too caught up, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Most of the time we're too caught up to be aware of this openness, caught up in our thoughts and emotions and our hopes and fears and our general resistance to things as they are. In the traditional analogy, we are like a desperately poor person who worries and struggles day and night. 
but doesn't realize that right under their house is enormous cachet of gold that would instantly free them from poverty. The Buddha and other great teachers have taught many methods for uncovering our luminous mind. When Trungpa Rinpoche first taught meditation in the West, he asked his students to relax and simply rest undistractedly in the present. If thoughts carried them away, they were <clears throat> if thoughts carried them away, they were to return again to the present moment. When this turned out to be nearly impossible for most people, he introduced relating to the outbreath as an object, but with a light touch. Touch the breath as it goes out and let it go. Those were the instructions I first learned. The most commonly taught, taught techniques involve sitting in a meditation posture, meditation posture, focusing on an object such as the breath and having a technique for working with thoughts when they arise. This and most other Buddhist practices in one way or another involves slowing down the mind enough to see our habitual thought patterns and how they usually take up almost all of our attention. Those methods ventilate our these methods ventilate our tendency to be totally engrossed in our thoughts so we can touch in over and over with the sky behind the clouds. One simple method for doing this I call the pause practice. You just stop whatever you're doing and look out. You could do this almost any time. You're walking around or watching, washing dishes, and then you pause and look out. The pause interrupts the momentum of being completely caught up in thoughts. And we all know, we all know what that feels like being completely caught up in thoughts, so lost in, in our mind. The pause interrupts the momentum of being completely caught up in thoughts. Instead, you enjoy a starting to have a sense of what that is. It's getting really noisy. I'm gonna close. I don't mind listening to the, the squirrels and the birds, but when big trucks are, roll, are driving nearby, uh, it's just not appropriate for trying to read and meditate. Although we're always, I'm always saying we need to let everything be our teachers, right? So I love this. I love this part. So I'm, I'm interrupting and losing track. Um, this glimpse of nowness teaches you about the contrast between being caught up and being open. For great images, thinking about being caught up or do we want to be open? You're getting a glimpse of your true nature. You're starting to have a sense of what it is. Once when I was teaching on this topic, someone asked me, will this get clearer and more obvious with time? She said that even though she'd heard these teachings and done a fair amount of meditation, she didn't have a real sense of what was meant by words like open awareness and sky like mind. She guessed it was because she was too conceptually oriented, always trying to figure things out. 
I thought about her question for a moment, and then I said, Whether it gets more clear will always be up to you. Getting to know open awareness doesn't usually happen by itself. It's a process. Many people have spent years learning to relax enough to become intimate with their sky-like mind. If any of us are really curious about the wide open space behind our habitual thought patterns, if we want to know the sky behind the clouds intimately, then it will take time. It, then it will take devoting time to the endeavor. This wonderful. But before we begin, we should know that this isn't a project of making our thoughts into an enemy. Clouds come and go without harming the sky. Like that, thoughts come and go without harming our mind. Whether we like it or not, the thoughts keep coming. That's just how things are. We don't have to see it as a problem. So instead of demonizing our thoughts, a more gentle and productive approach is simple curiosity. We can simply wonder, what's behind this whole thing if I'm suddenly not thinking? What will I experience? What are these thoughts anyway? Are they really solid? Are they really a threat? If you have this kind of curiosity, you'll naturally look into the situation more. You'll study and practice, and the experience will become clearer. More and more often, you'll remember to pause and interrupt the onrush of your thoughts. The thoughts you have will gradually become less problem problematic will become less problematic. More and more often you'll enjoy moments of freshness and spaciousness. And the more you commit to this kind of inquisitiveness, the clearer and more obvious your sense of open awareness becomes. The first time I ever had a distinct experience of my mind's openness came about in a humorous way. It was the day I discovered the gap. I was at a long retreat where we sat in a meditation hall every day, all day. There was a loud fan in the room, but after a short time I was so used to it that I stopped noticing it. I was feeling poverty-stricken. We, we had received teachings on our mind's nature, and people kept talking about the gap and spaciousness, and I didn't know what they were talking about. The, isn't that a familiar experience, too? <laughs> it got to the point where this felt like my dark little secret. So I was thinking along these depressing lines, and all of a sudden, the fan shut off for about three seconds, and then came back on. And I knew, that's it. The gap. The spaciousness. Whatever you want to call it, was right there. There was the fan's hum, then no sound, a gap. It was as if someone pushed pause on my experience. Then the hum began again. Although there was nothing I could directly put my finger on, I recognized that the open space had always been right here. It was a revelation because it was so simple. It may seem like I had this experience just because the fan shut off. But I've been in lots of situations where a fan shut off 
and I continued plodding along in my train of thought. <laughs> but it only happened because I was there in the meditation hall, badly wanting to know and doing my best to follow the instructions. In retrospect, the whole time I was feeling like a loser who couldn't do anything right. I was actually laying the groundwork for this experience of recognition to happen. This is, this is simple, but it's very powerful what she's saying. Training our mind to recognize open awareness is a long-term exploration of working with our deeply ingrained habits. We're so used to being caught up in our struggle against life as it is that we often turn our practice into another form of struggle. If we take up this endeavor, we may find ourselves often wondering what we're doing and doubting ourselves. We're all good at finding ways of tying ourselves in knots. But if we continue to be curious and to apply the instructions we've been given, our mind's true nature becomes increasingly familiar. We come to know who we really are behind the kaleidoscope of perceptions and thoughts that make up our experience. Then we'll be prepared for whatever may happen to us, even experiences of groundlessness that would normally be deeply upsetting. I'm going to read that sentence again because that applies to a lot of us. Then, so we, if we continue to be curious and apply the instructions we've been given, our mind's true nature becomes increasingly familiar. We come to know who we really are behind the kaleidoscope of perceptions and thoughts that make up our experience. Then we'll be prepared for whatever may happen to us, even experiences of groundlessness that would normally be deeply upsetting unsettling. Finally, when the elements of our body dissolve, we will have the deep joy and solace of a child recognizing their mother and running without hesitation into her comforting lap. So reaching the point of death, the, we're, she's giving us these instructions on how to live, and then death will just be just be a different kind of continuation instead of the breath coming next there'll be something else a new life a rebirth so we don't wait till we're dying to practice that's what we're doing every day and that's what our meditation practice is so that it was a beautiful chapter. I think I'll, I'll want to be reading that one over and over again. So I've been really, uh, just personally for me, I've been really uh, trying to understand that, uh, that exactly what she's talking about, about the uh, mother luminosity, that consciousness that's around us, like everything outside the vase, and we're inside the vase, the vase space. And I've been, I've been really reading a lot and trying to understand a lot about that, uh, as what happens at death 
if we're if we've been practicing so we can even be aware at that point of moving into that mother luminosity and uh the way she's explaining it is just turning on lots of lights for me <laughs> but reading about it doesn't doesn't uh doesn't work unless we practice too so why don't we spend the last minutes of our time we have about eight or nine minutes and we can sit and just uh, let it be uh, silent so you can just I'll just I'll just give you a few instructions to help you get just get into that posture that lets your body know that you're going to be sitting so it, it's sometimes just straightening up the spine or getting in a certain, uh, you know, you want your posture to be your feet on the ground if you're sitting in a chair. Find the, get into the posture that you're used to when you uh, meditate, or the one that tells you, okay, now, mind, I want you to uh, relax, but don't fall asleep, don't get drowsy, and try to bring everything to the present moment. And then you can you can reflect or contemplate on the what, what I just read. Uh, you can just be aware of anything that rises in rises up in you, inside of you, in response to that. Okay, and as we're starting, I'm going to answer Patty's question. It's how we live is how we die. And it's by Pema Chodron. It's a new book. And this is the hardcover. How we live is how we die. So uh, I love when the teachings from one tradition can really support the teachings, you know, of a, of our tradition. Which maybe maybe the wording is much more effective when Pema Chodron talks about it than some other other teacher you've read or other teacher you've listened to. They can just pop something open. So, if you can, close your eyes. Try to breathe through your nose and exhale through your nose. Now, in your awake posture, you want to let the body now relax. Your anchor is your breath. Bring your curiosity to everything that you're that you feel arising. Be curious, be curious about the concepts.
simple practice is preparing us not only for today, but for the rest of our life and the end of our life. Be aware of your body. Are you relaxing or are you tensing up your shoulders? Let each out-breath remind you to relax.
as we end our time together, remember to send loving kindness to yourself today and out to the world. And may everything we do and say and think be done for our own benefit and not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of all living beings. Thank you. Thank you so much for being part of my practice, and I'll see you tomorrow.